So our scripture passage from the lectionary this morning is found in the Gospel of Mark uh, as we look at two particular parables that Jesus shares of an agricultural variety that we see Jesus do a lot. And so we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, starting at verse 26. Let's listen to the word of the Lord. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, With What can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm going to come around. I don't want to be so distant from you. How about that? Who needs a zooming feature on the camera when you can just move forward, right? Well, good morning again to everybody here, and for those tuning in online, uh, we are glad that you are with us in worship as we discuss this topic of Jesus' parables. And so, I'm going to get this queued up. But we have uh, two interesting parables. Perhaps you've heard them before. Uh, Jesus loves to use plants as metaphors and analogies throughout Scripture, and this is one of those times, if uh, you are unfamiliar with the teachings of Jesus, Jesus loves to use parables, these powerful stories to illustrate uh, sometimes complicated topics, to boil them down into ways that perhaps we too can understand. Uh, But before we delve into this topic today, uh, let's return to God in prayer and ask for the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Holy God, we thank you for this opportunity we have to gather in your name, and we praise you, and we love you, and we just ask, great God, that you would speak into our lives, into our current situation, into where we are right now, that you would speak to us, that we realize these are ancient words that we study, but that does not devalue or demean them in any way. They are just as true and powerful today as the day Jesus spoke them and they found their way to the page. So, Lord, we ask that as we delve deeper into these parables that you would help give us insight, help us to hear what it is we need to hear, that you'd open our hearts and our minds to receive that word. And we pray for those around us that, God, you would open their hearts and their minds to receive your word. And, Lord, I pray that as My word strays from yours. May it fall away and quickly be forgotten. But may your word, your truth, and your promise remain upon our hearts forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray, and all the saints said, amen. 
So it happens every year. It's an annual thing, and, and, and you ever have one of those things that it doesn't matter, it happens every year, but you're never prepared for it? Even though you know it's coming, you're just not prepared for it. Well, this is one of those things for me. It tests my skills, and it tests my patience even more. What am I talking about, you might be wondering? Is it the invasion of the mosquitoes? Nope. I do not care for mosquitoes. I do not like mosquitoes. I will kill a mosquito if I get the chance. But I'm not talking about mosquitoes. Is it the season of sunburns? Given the pastiness of my family, that would also be a good guess. But no, I'm not talking about sunburns. Then maybe I'm talking about entertaining young children over the summer when school is out. That again would be a good guess. But it does chest my skills and patience, Kate, even more than mine. But that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the annual invasion of the vine. Let me, let me explain. Every spring, Kate gets excited to plant our garden. Kate takes great pride in planting the garden. And so when spring comes around, she brings out her gardening gloves and her tools, and we even have gloves for the boys now. And she brings in and she carefully, you know, mixes the soil and tills it with our tool and puts in new topsoil if that needs to be done, weeds, pulls all the stuff and throws it into my nicely manicured lawn. And then she puts the rows together and gently plants every single seed into this beautiful garden, and great satisfaction comes as she and the boys and all of us watch it grow in hopes that we can harvest cucumbers, green beans, or whatever the case may be, whatever the birds and the squirrels don't get beforehand. But we always reach a certain time period in this garden that begins to test my skills and patience. You see, while the garden is Kate's domain, the yard is my domain. I like to care for my lawn. I take great satisfaction in working on our lawn. You know, in in my life, it's one of the few things that you can do and see immediate results. You know, so often in ministry, you don't see immediate results. And so it's nice to just go, I can mow the lawn, and then right afterward, I can look and go, doesn't that look nice? A freshly mowed lawn looks nice, and, and I'm a bit obsessive. I, I have a little bit of OCD when it comes to lawn because I mow my lawn four different ways. Do the diagonals, and I do horizontal and vertical. I know, but I heard it works best if you cut it different ways. And so, yes, I cut it different ways. I fertilize. I care for it. And it always is challenged in that season when we come into summer when the garden is in full bloom because Kate has yet to learn the size of our garden, so she always overplants it. And so it's just, it's, it's a jungle in there right now. And then, inevitably, one vine always comes out and starts to grow and take over my front yard. Or, or backyard, sorry, sorry. My backyard. And so there is this vine right in the middle of my lawn, and I have to start mowing around it. But yet, you know, you can't get but so close to it, so you have all the long grass, and it just, it drives me crazy. And some years, that vine takes over like half the backyard, it feels like. And, you know, for the sake of my marriage, I can't do anything about that. 
If I want to stay married, you mow around that vine. And what always astounds me is I, I consider the pain I go through with this vine and mowing around it and how it vexes me, that that vine comes from but one seed. I mean, have you ever stopped to contemplate how all these plants come from one little seed? Whether it be a long vine that takes over your backyard, or a massive tree, or a beautiful bush, a beautiful flower, a plant that grows fruits and vegetables, there is great potential in a seed. Have you ever paused to consider the power of a simple seed. Because isn't it interesting that a seed can sit dormant for years and even centuries? You could find seeds in an Egyptian tomb that are 4,000 years old and turn around and plant them and they could still grow a plant. I mean, is that not fascinating to anybody else but me? They could just sit dormant and and just everything the plant needs to know how to grow is already in that seed. Have you ever seen a redwood tree? Anybody here? I haven't seen one up close, but I've seen pictures and I did a little bit of research. The largest tree is the General Sherman in the Sequoia National Park in California. And so this massive redwood, this massive living tree is... 274.9 feet in height. Here, let me uh, calculate that for you. It's a lot. And then at the base, it's 102.6 feet in circumference at the ground. And so these trees are big at the bottom because they have to be to support all that weight. And then they narrow as they get up to the top. That is a massive tree. People are dwarfed standing before it. In fact, they have tunnels going through just some of its roots that have come out of the ground, and they build a tunnel so that people can walk through. It's like, that is, that is crazy. And all of that from one seed. Within a single seed is the great potential for life, growth, and reproduction. It still astounds me, even with all the sciences we have, and we've come to understand a good amount about our world. But that doesn't seem to make it any less profound to me. In fact, there's so much to know about this planet on which we live, on which God created every living thing. And I begin to understand the more we grow to know about this planet and life in general, the more we learn that we don't know. It just opens up more and more questions. Jesus asks us to consider a seed and seeds and soil and growth today in his parable. But what could Jesus possibly teach us about his coming kingdom with something so simple and plain as a seed? As I mentioned earlier, Jesus is known to use agricultural metaphors a lot as he speaks and teaches people. And while we may have a better collective knowledge of biology and agricultural sciences today, from greenhouses to microscope, we also have to recognize that 
in the mind of an ordinary person of Jesus' day, would have known more about agricultural at that time, agriculture at that time than any given person in our society today that does their grocery shopping at a grocery store, doesn't even know the season for certain plants because you can buy stuff year-round now. So what is eating seasonally when you can get stuff from Peru at any time? And so the everyday person in Jesus' day would have known this is their livelihood as they cared for the earth and brought forth their food. So let's keep that in mind as we contemplate Jesus' parable. And we start with the first, because we read actually two parables. There's the parable of the sower and then the parable of the mustard seed. So let's take a quick look at the parable of the sower. This short parable causes us to ponder two particular mysteries about the kingdom of God. The first is this. Truth grows beyond human knowledge. Truth grows beyond human knowledge, and the other is truth grows beyond human control. Truth grows beyond human knowledge, and truth goes beyond human control. So as I mentioned earlier, there's still so much to life that we just can't comprehend. From the depths of the oceans to the inner spaces of the human mind, we argue still over when does life begin. I mean, that's in politics and arguments now of when exactly does life begin? Is it in the individual cells that have the DNA that make up life? Is it at conception? Is it at first breath? I mean, there's all these great questions. And when it comes down to it, there's so much we don't understand. Jesus proclaims that there is a great mystery in his kingdom that eludes our understanding. Let's look at verse 27. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, and here's the key phrase, he knows not how. Jesus puts the mystery of life outside of human knowledge. Now, we may understand biology and how cells and things work in photosynthesis and how seeds pull for the nutrients from the soil and everything, but it's still profound how it happens even if we understand how it happens. But understanding how it happens doesn't give us any more control over seeds. Because that goes to the second point that Jesus has. It's beyond our knowledge to understand how everything works. We can't fully comprehend. But the second mystery and miraculous principle is that growth for the kingdom of God is beyond our control. Notice in verse 28. For the earth yields crops by itself. The earth yields crops by itself. The first part of the verse reminds us of an important truth that's difficult for us to swallow. We are not in control. Who here likes to be in control? Who here thinks that my issue with the vine in the backyard is an issue of control? I'm with you on that one. We are not in control. 
There are many things in life that are beyond our control. And being Father's Day, if I've learned, parenting is one of those things that you do the best you can, but there's so many things beyond your control with children. And that the only difference between a horrible father and the best father is that it's just the amount of scarring that you leave in your kids. But even the best father is going to scar their children. So I'm just wondering, how, how messed up are my kids going to be because of me? Because I know it's going to happen. I'm already seeing some of my failings in that department. There are things that are outside of our control, and the kingdom of God is especially outside of our control. This is tough for us because the ultimate aim of human knowledge in the first place is about control. Have you ever considered that? We want to know more about things so that we can then control and predict things. Even the simple things like weather and meteorology, we want to understand how weather patterns work so that we can then predict what's going to happen and work our ways around that and control how we're going to live our lives within those systems. We want to control. I mean, even the study of psychology is ultimately about control. There's a whole field of study about the human mind and human behavior, and when it really comes down to it, we want to understand it so that we can learn how to control that behavior. We like to be in control, and it's really tough when we are not. Yet Jesus reminds us in this parable that he is in control of life, and life by and large remains a mystery to us, whether in dictating human behavior growing a crop of grain, or directing the development of the kingdom of God here on earth. So why do you think this is so important to remind us? Why must Jesus remind us in this parable about our lack of knowledge and control? I think it has a lot to do with our egos Our egos also want to control the speed of growth, oftentimes. And even when it comes to the kingdom of God, we like to control all of these things. Impatience takes over as we try to short-circuit the process by expecting an instant harvest. But as we're learning from this parable, that's there's a whole part in the middle that we have no control over. We can plant the seed, we can water the seed, but everything else is up to God until the harvest. Maybe part of our struggle in modern day is that we become such a fast food, instant relief society. We want everything instantly, from our Netflix to DVRs to Amazon Prime, home delivery in one day. Remember when you had to wait weeks for stuff to show up at your door? Now it's like you're calling customer service. Like, where's my stuff? It's been two days. I had two-day shipping. Where is it? We're not very patient when it comes to things of that sort, and we like to short-circuit the process all the times. But Jesus reminds us in the second part of verse 28 that there is a process that is outside of our control. You know, notice he said, the earth produces by itself first the blade, 
then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. There is a process, but that process is outside of our control. We want to control the harvest. We hear this in metrics that we often use in churches and ministries, too. Have you ever heard of the B's of ministry that we measure? Butts, bucks, and buildings. That's oftentimes when you hear people in the church world, especially when you get a group of pastors together, these questions always come up in a variety of different forms, but you always get down to the numbers because it's the stuff that's easy to measure. You can measure people, you can measure a budget, and then you can look at a building and get a sense of a place by how nice the building is, how nice is it cared for, how big is it. All of these things are easy to measure. And while these are important things, we shouldn't ignore those metrics. They tell a story and not the story. The growth in the kingdom of God, we play a very small role. An important role, but a small role. John Stott once preached, God has only commissioned us to preach the gospel to all nations The results belong to him. The results belong to God. If you notice the man in this parable at the beginning, it was all about he scatters the seed. And when is he needed again? The harvest. Everything in the middle belongs to God. In other words, Jesus reminds us in this parable that the sprouting, growing, and ripening of the gospel is a naturally supernatural process beyond our control. Our task is to scatter the seed, nourish the plants, and reap the harvest when it comes. So then Jesus shifts gears a little bit as he moves from the parable of the sower to the parable of the mustard seed. This, this parable differs a little bit from Matthew's gospel. It's a lot shorter, but it's no less powerful. Let's look at verse 30 through 31. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? And what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. So now, mind you, for context here, some people are quick to argue, well, the mustard seed is not the smallest seed on earth, and it is not the smallest seed on earth. Given the time period and when this was, this was the smallest seed they would have likely known of. And if you've ever seen a mustard seed, it is tiny. Anybody? You have one? You passed around. All right. Show and tell. We got mustard seeds. I actually have them in my car, but I forgot to grab them. So I'm glad you brought it, Melissa. So if you have not seen a mustard seed, take a look at that packet as it comes around. I mean, those things are tiny. They're really super tiny. If you've seen, your sunflower seeds are much bigger and so many other plants, but a mustard seed is tiny, but yet this tiny little mustard seed, this insignificant little thing can grow to be something quite substantial. And in that region of where Jesus was preaching in the Middle East, they are mighty bushes. And that these tiny little seeds, I mean, just imagine as you're looking at those seeds, that that One little seed grows into a plant that can support life and have branches that hold nests for birds. I mean, that's that's astounding. And that tiny little seed is the potential 
for something so much greater. Jesus in verse 32 says, Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in the shade. Not unlike a small seed that grows into a large vine and takes over your backyard. I'm not bitter about that. That's not why I keep bringing it up. Okay, maybe I am bitter. This seed contains everything it needs to be something far greater than itself. Jesus wants to constantly bring and draw us back to the truth about his kingdom that continues to elude us and we continue to forget that the kingdom of God begins small and may seem insignificant just because so much of it is unseen to our eyes, but grows great in service like the mustard seed grows mighty branches. At the end of the parable in verse 33, Jesus says, With many such parables he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples he explained everything. As we listen to Jesus' teachings, we begin to see that the hidden is open to us only through Jesus. He explains the unseen world that we can't understand. The way is being cleared for us to better understand it, but not control it. And it all comes through Jesus. We also see that the natural can be supernatural, because what is really the difference between something that's natural and supernatural? Supernatural is just the things we can't explain doesn't mean that it's not also natural. There are many things we've come to better understand today that in past time periods they would have said, well, that's supernatural. Well, no, it's science and biology, but it is natural. It's really just things that we don't understand. But Jesus also points us to consider that the small things in life can be great and lead to something bigger and greater. Imagine Jesus' ministry that started with 12 close individuals that followed him and grew massive disciples to a movement that is now thousands of years old of people worshiping Jesus and knowing the truth about God's coming kingdom. Jesus teaches us that the growth of his kingdom is not of this world, but his world coming to ours. If these, in this final verse, teaches us anything, it's that it is a reminder that there's so much we do not understand. In the depth of our knowledge, we are still incredibly ignorant. But if we hope to glean any insight into the eternal kingdom of God, Jesus truly is the key to that understanding. Let us go to God in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you for your scripture and your parables and your teaching in that you still speak into our lives today. As we discern what that means for us, Lord, we pray that your spirit would guide us and that in everything we say and do, we would draw glory to you 
the key, the cornerstone, the linchpin of it all, our Savior, our Messiah. Jesus, you are our everything. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.